Good morning. Hack, hack, hack. Cough, cough, cough. Anybody else smell the cedar pollen out there? It just means the earth is waking up again. Things are going to be green pretty soon. It's getting better. Next week, Lord willing, Chris Miller will be here in connection with Affirming the Faith. And he is from New Zealand. He's been here before, you may recall. He sounds a little different than most Okies. We've been friends for years since back in the, the like 85 or 86, somewhere around in there, we met him and Melinda. And I remember one night he called, it was kind of late. And he, he said, have you got a big yet? And I said, what? What? I'm sorry, I didn't understand you. And I wasn't old and hard of hearing back then. He said, have you got a big yet? And I asked, it was embarrassing to me because I had to ask him a third time. What he was asking was, have you gone to bed yet? He just has a little bit of a different accent being from New Zealand. But you're going to love him as we do. And uh, I know those of you who remember him being here before very much appreciated his presence and what he had to say. So that's what we've got to look forward to uh, next week. Also, I was impressed again. Mike had an excellent lesson this morning on Ruth. And everything he was talking about is the same stuff I'm going to talk about in the sermon. So we'll just stand and sing the invitation song. (laughs) It's astounding to me how that works out. And I don't know why it's astounding. We should expect that kind of thing when the Spirit of God is working in and with us and among us. It's, It's just the way it turns out. And so many times, I know I've talked to Titus about this and other song leaders, the selections that they have that just fit so perfectly well. And it's as if if we had collaborated you might expect that, but we never collaborate. Uh, it just happens, and so it's uh, very much appreciated. There's probably no more well-known text to us than what Matthew just read out of Matthew's gospel, one Matthew named after another Matthew, and he reads the last three verses out of Matthew's gospel. And what do we call that? The Great Commission. The idea for this morning's lesson came from a fellow by the name of Dr. Kevin Lehman. Some of you may be familiar with him. He's a family counselor and does a great job. And I was listening to one of his lessons earlier this week. And thought, you know, that's a great idea. He talked about the three C's of family life. And those three C's are, uh, very simply, number one, communication. Communication. Number two, compassion. And number three, Commitment. And so you might be wondering, what in the world is uh, the Great Commission? Well, think about it. You read what Jesus said there. This is the Great Commission, which is God committing into us something that is great. So we've got commitment there, and it's coming at the end of this as well. But he says to go out and do what? Communicate. Communicate the gospel. So we're to be communicators of the message of his gospel. Now, what is the message of his gospel but compassion for the world, for you and me who are lost in our sins. And that's what the gospel is all about, reaching down to us in our sinful situation to save us from our sin, to bring us a better life here, but an eternal life when this life is over. And then what does Jesus say at the end? But I'm going to be with you. How long? To the end of the age. So he gives us this commission to go preach about the love of God. And he says, I'm going to be with you. And you just keep doing this. You commit yourself to this Until I come back again. So we've got them all three right there. And in this particular context, 
We're talking about the gospel for the whole world. But this morning we're going to talk about the gospel for our families. The gospel at home. The Great Commission at home, if you will. Perhaps in a little different sense, but in a very real sense. And when you stop and think about it, what is a better showing of the effectiveness of Christianity than our families in this world? Strong marriages. Yes, we struggle with our marriages. And yes, we struggle with our families. But Jesus Christ makes a difference when we practice what he teaches us to make. And the world can see that in us. They see us hanging together. They see us working through problems that we have because everybody's got problems. They see us working through issues because everybody's got issues. And that's what the Great Commission in our families is all about. Staying the course. And so let's talk about these three things briefly this morning, number one, communication. What in the world is the Bible except God's communication to us? He starts in Genesis chapter 1 and it goes all the way through the Revelation. And the whole thing is like his love letter to us. And in him giving us this letter, he shows us how important communication is. Do you want to know about God? Read his book. Read the letters. And what he does after that is to give us his son, Jesus Christ. If you look at Hebrews chapter 1, this is how the the letter to the Hebrews begins. And we're going to be in Hebrews a couple of times this morning, Lord willing. So so when you get there, put a a gum wrapper in it or something so you'll know where to come back to. Hebrews chapter 1, this is how the writer starts the letter. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets... In many platforms and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. How does he start this letter? He says, God in the past spoke to us. How did he speak to us in the past? Through the prophets. Spoke through the prophets. We call the first age of human history The patriarchal age. Why do we call it the patriarchal age? Because patriarchs are the fathers. They're the dads. And that's how God communicated to humanity. First to Adam. Later on, we read about Noah, one of the patriarchs. Then it's Abraham in chapter 12. And right on down the line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God communed to the patriarchs, to the fathers. And then later to the prophets. He gave messages in many different ways. God has always been communicating to his people in one way or another to try to bring us to his glory. Let us know how much he loves us and how much he cares and what his plan is for us. And how to behave in this world in such a way that life won't be the mess that it is everywhere else where God is not. He's a great communicator. And when he does this, by the word and by sending us his son, he shows us. I don't know about you. My favorite part of school was show and tell. For one reason, because we didn't have to do all that other stuff during show and tell. (laughs) But it was neat to see what your classmates would bring to school. And what they would have to say about what they brought. 
And it might not be anything that you yourself are particularly interested in, but what show and tell does, it gives you a glimpse into the lives of your classmates and helps you to appreciate them more. And all they're doing is showing you something from their lives and telling you about it. That's all it is. That's all it was. And yet, as a child, that impressed me. And I really enjoyed it because we were communicating. And when I got my turn at show and tell, it was the same. I was excited to get up there. Nobody had to coach me on how to do my speech because I was showing and telling something I cared about. And that's what I like to do whenever I'm teaching a class on on how to speak. One of the first things I have the guys do or the girls, whoever's in that class is tell me something you're really interested in. And when they tell you, then you say, okay, give me a couple minutes on that. Tell me about that. And they don't even have to think about it. Oh, yeah, well, it's like this. It's like that. And bim, bam, boom, they've got it because that's, that's what they're focused on. And so in our families, if we focus on one another and we communicate through speech, that's marvelous. But are there other ways to communicate besides speaking to one another? And you know there are. Because it's not just telling love, but it's showing love. And showing love communicates. Now, I'm not saying take one or the other. I'm saying take both because that's what God shows us to do. He tells us with the Bible, but he shows us through his son. And if you want to know how to live and how to think and how to behave towards others, even people who are obstinate and unruly and unkind Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and he will show you. And I know in our family life, we don't ever have any problems with obstinate, unkind, unruly people. Those are the neighbors. (laughs) Yeah, it's never us, is it? But we keep talking and we keep trying to, to see what the other person's view is because one huge part of communication is listening. Listening. And if I would say anything to you about communication this week, it's not to try to communicate, but to try to listen. Make that your goal this week. Listen. Listen in your family. Don't just listen to what your family members are saying to you, but listen to everything your family members are saying. And watch with your eyes to see to hear with your eyes, so to speak, to understand what's going on in the lives of your loved ones. Listen. I learned long ago when you're studying the Bible with someone, because what do you want to do when you're studying the Bible? Boy, you want to get it over. I want to get it over. You shut up and sit down. I'm going to tell you what this says here. You're just so fired up to get that word to them because that's the great commission that you forget Part of communicating is listening. And so you can ask people about their lives. And if they think they're saved, ask them how they became saved. And that's been such a great approach, just listening. Because when when you give someone the freedom and the opportunity to tell you something that's very meaningful to them, and you don't hurry it along, you might ask a question here and there for clarification, but that's all it's for. You don't criticize You don't criticize. 
You just listen. You know what they want to do in almost 100% of the situations when they're finished telling you? They want you to express to them your views on that. And it's a marvelous opportunity because you have shown them by listening to them how much you care for their side of the thing, even if they're wrong, even if it's inaccurate, even if it's messed up. Jesus did not simply show love by saying things. He showed love by doing things. And one of the things he did was listen to people. And so we need to learn to listen. And that's what God does when he teaches us to pray. He's showing us, I'm listening to you. If you read 1 Peter chapter 5, this is one of my favorite passages. I got a couple. You probably do too. Have a couple of different favorite passages. But this is how Peter closes this letter to the church. And by the way, if, if you read this letter, you'll find out, I believe as I have found out, that he's talking to them about a great fiery persecution that's coming. It's a hard message, but he was just telling them, this is what's coming. A fiery trial. It's about to descend on you. And this is how he closes, chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, when he says casting all your anxiety, how do you, how do you cast anxiety? Wouldn't that be great if you could cast anxiety? Just pull that anxiety out and throw it away. Wouldn't that be great? But there's only one way to cast anxiety, and that's by talking about it. And that's what the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to say here. You humble yourselves before God, and then you cast your anxiety on him by telling him about it. We need to do that in our families. Do you know what bothers your children? Do you know what bothers your parents? Do you know what struggles your wife has, your husband? That passage that Robert read for us a little bit ago about Jesus being our high priest. The reason he's able to be our high priest is because he was tempted in all points like as so he understands. And this is what we need to learn to do is to understand one another by listening, by talking, by communicating. Communication is huge. And listening is a huge part of communication. I know I'm using the word huge a lot, aren't I? That's cuz this is big stuff. It's important. Super important. What would Harold say? Harold, you would call it enormous. Nobody else uses that word but Harold, and he uses it because in Harold's mind, spiritual things are enormous. How you doing today, Harold? That's enormous, isn't it? <laughs> All right, let's talk about the second C. Compassion. God's all about communication, but God's also all about compassion. The Bible is God's communication to us, but what's the message of the Bible except his compassion for us? 
chapter 3 of Genesis, you see what happens. Adam and Eve sin by eating the forbidden fruit. Eve is deceived and she offers the fruit to Adam and, and he eats it. And then what do they realize about themselves? They are naked. So what do they do? Well, they go down to the gap. No. They go to the fig trees, the, the bushes, and they get leaves and they try to cover themselves. What kind of clothes do you think that would make, covering yourself with leaves? Not very good. You just imagine that. Adam and Eve stand there in those leaf clothes. Eve goes, these leaves make me look fat. That's where the second fight started. But what does God do in that situation? He comes and he, he doesn't criticize. He just says, these kids need some clothes. And so he, he makes them clothing of animal skins. I, another verse. Yes, another verse. How did he do that? Did he actually kill and skin some animals to do that? I don't know how else you get animal skins. I know if God wanted to, he could have spoken animal skins into existence without killing anything. But I don't think that's how that worked. So God's compassion on them by providing them clothing, it costs something. It costs the lives of some animals. And you know compassion will cost you too. If you start with that idea in mind that when you show compassion to somebody else, it's going to cost you something. The Greek word, this is interesting. I don't use the Greek too much. For one thing, I don't speak it. I speak English. But the New Testament was basically written in Greek. And sometimes you go to those words and you find out there's a little bit of an insight. The Greek word for compassion would be pronounced something like splontnon. And guess what word we get from that Greek word? But spleen. Spleen. You know you got a spleen? You got to have a spleen to survive. Where is that spleen? It is way down deep. Way down deep. And why did the, the word for compassion be something that now speaks to us as something way down deep? Because that's where your compassion lies. And you felt that. You've, you've seen a scene or a situation or you've heard about somebody. And you'll hear it here sometimes during the prayer request. Somebody will turn in a prayer request about some horrible thing that's happened to someone. Especially if it's a child involved. And you'll hear the audience. You'll hear yourselves going, oh, you'll groan. Because down deep inside you're hurting over what you just heard. Compassion. It goes and comes from what's down deep inside us. And we need to have compassion for one another. I, Jesus said, love your enemies. Amen? Love your enemies. He's, and he said, he connected to that. If you want to be complete like God is complete, love your enemies. Because that's how you become complete. Who else is there to love besides your enemies? You, you pretty much love everybody else. Well, we're supposed to. But compassion is another thing that's more than an idea, more than a concept. Compassion is an act. It comes out in actions. When you behave in such a way towards other people that you show you care, that's compassion. And in our family, sometimes we lack that. We, we just get so comfortable around each other, don't we? That we're willing to say things and do things that you would never do or say to a stranger. 
And I wonder sometimes, why don't I give the same courtesy to my beloved family members that I would to strangers? Because, well, we just get lazy. I think I heard that in class this morning. Laziness. We care. You know you care. I know we care. And out in the world, you, you got to care and you got to do your best job out in the world. But the thing is, when you come home, that's really where we need to do the best job is at home with our husbands and with our wives and with our children and even with extended family. Showing compassion. And it goes back because all three of these things are, are connected. You, you can't get away from compassion being connected to communication and all that's got to be a long-term commitment we haven't even started talking about commitment commitment staying with it yet but we're, we're going to it's kind of like remember you who are old enough to remember teaching your children how to ride a bicycle what did you say while you were teaching them how to ride a bicycle Okay, now pedal. You got to pedal. Keep pedaling. Oh, balance. You got to balance. Steer, steer, steer. Don't look down at the handlebars. Look out where you're going. Pedal, steer, balance, steer, balance, pedal. How do you do all that? Well, you you eventually figure it out because your mom and dad's screaming at you. Steer, balance, pedal. Keep pedaling. Don't look down. Look at where you're going. Stop looking at the handlebars. Whatever it might be, you keep saying that until finally it all sort of comes together. And you ride a bicycle. And then, here's the interesting thing about that. You learn how to ride a bicycle. And then there's a saying about riding bicycles that we have for later. And what is it that we say about other things that you've done before, but you haven't done it in a long time, you say it's just like riding a bike. Where does that come from? Well, somewhere down the line, you learn to put it all together. You learn how to pedal and balance and steer and look ahead. You, you learn how to do all that. And once you've got it done, it sticks with you. So these are things we need to learn to do. We need to learn to communicate at home, to have compassion for one another at home and understanding for one another at home. And these are the things that are the crux of Christianity, really. When you look at Philippians chapter 2, there's a passage here, another, I hope, familiar passage. If it's not familiar, I, I want you to become familiar with it because it's so powerful in showing us once again how Jesus is the example of this very thing. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection of compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. And he'll go on from here. But think about what he's written. He's going to show us Jesus, who's the embodiment of what he is saying here. But what he's saying here, don't do anything out of selfishness. That's a hard one. You know who I live with most? 
myself. And you know, I'm pretty good at making myself happy if you just leave me alone. Do you remember that passage where Jesus says your life should be all about making yourself happy? I don't remember it either because there isn't one. I remember this one though where he says do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. By the way, what's conceit? That's when you're stuck on yourself. That's what conceit is and I really don't know why he threw the word empty in there, but the Holy Spirit said to Paul, when you're writing this, throw, throw empty in there. People ought to know that conceit is empty, but I want to enforce that idea that conceit is empty. Selfishness is empty. And that's, that's the tricky thing about it, because we think when we focus on ourselves and what I want, that I'm going to fulfill myself, and that never happens. The most fulfilling things I've ever done have been for other people. How about you? When I pay attention to other people, I find I, I am much more content. And it's kind of like booze or drugs, I suppose. Because when you start using booze, it's like, oh, booze, yeah, this is good. There's a song. Who wrote that song? Some country singer. Tim McGraw might be, said I'd look for consolation in a bottle of Jim Beam. Or, and, and it lied to me. And that's the same way selfishness is. You're selfish. You think that's going to make you happy. It's a lie. But you may not know it until it's too late. So be careful about selfishness. Look out for others. Like Paul tells us to do in Philippians by holding up the light of Jesus Christ and showing us he didn't seek others' good. He sought, or he didn't seek his own good. He sought the good of others. He goes on to say, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he was God, and yet he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he's, he let go of that. I'm holding on to my God status, Jesus could have said, and keeping my, my comfort and my pleasure. He didn't do it because he was looking at us. And he let that go. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not re regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, to die to ourselves. To die to ourselves that we might serve him, but also to die to ourselves that we might serve in our own families. Serve as a husband, serve as a wife, serve as a mom, serve as a dad, serve as children. Being obedient to your parents, respecting authority. All these things have to be taught, but they have to be practiced as well. In Hebrews chapter 12, there's, a, there's another passage we need to talk about because this this figures so prominently in our lives, and it's discipline. God disciplines us as his children. And he tells us here, if we weren't disciplined, we'd be illegitimate children. When children have parents, they're disciplined. That's what we're being taught here. Hebrews chapter 12, start with me at verse 4. It says, you've not yet resisted to the point 
of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're approved of him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he received. Wait a minute, scourges? What's a scourge? That's a whip. Sometimes you need a whipping. And when you do, you know what God does? He whips you. That's why we need to pay attention when something happens in our lives that's uncomfortable. We've got to ask yourself, now, is this God punishing me? Now, I'm, I'm not saying it is because you read Job, and what does Job show us? Job was a man righteous in every way, and yet he suffered horribly. And it wasn't because he was evil. It was actually because he was good. <laughs> he drew the devil's attention to himself, and that's what got him in that hot water. But it was only hot water for a while, wasn't it? What happened later? Job maintains his faith. And everything is restored to him even more than it was before. And now he is to us an icon of faithfulness and patience. You go through things in life and those are the things where you're able to glorify God. And so this is the same thing here. God disciplines those whom he loves. And he says in verse 7, It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But how many of you, if I was asking for a show of hands, would put your hand up if I asked, would you like to have more discipline in your life? Yeah, I'd like to, but it ain't worth it. You know what that is? That's It's like some... uh, Yeah, I want more discipline, but I don't really want more discipline because discipline's hard. Yes, discipline's hard. It's difficult. Except, keep reading. If you're without discipline, verse 8, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, amen, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, what's it say? Afterwards, discipline yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Discipline. I need it as an adult still. You need it, whatever your situation in life is. And discipline is one of those things that as parents we have to make decisions about. And it's not easy. I'd like to tell you, parents, hey, don't worry about disciplining your kids. It'll, just, it'll come easy. It'll be so natural. You won't even have to think about it. That's a lie. It's difficult. And that's why sometimes it doesn't get done. Because you've got to stick with it. It's hard work. And we don't like that kind of hard work. But what does it do? It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's what it does. Well, that's the lesson this morning. The three C's of family life. What's the first one? Communication. The second one? Compassion. The third one? 
commitment. Stick with it. Stay with it. That's what this is all about this morning. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement and invitation. I'm so happy to hear about you, Keely, wanting to obey the gospel and can't wait for that to happen. So sing fast. We sing the invitation song. Sing fast. And we'll conclude our assembly this morning and, uh, and baptize Keely into Christ. Let's stand and sing together.